The next generation of consumers is here, and they have some new expectations of marketing. We'll learn all about it today with my friend, Sarah Wilson. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, everyone, and we are in for a scintillating and inspiring show with my dear friend, Sarah Wilson, today. Sarah, how are you? Ah, I'm great. I love being here. You know this. this. It's always fun, and it's going to be especially fun today because we're going to be talking about uh, Gen Z, and um you have come out with a new edition of a project you've worked on called the Brand Yearbook. Uh, and I will put a link to this in the show notes. Everybody should take a look at it because it is really fascinating reading. And what uh, what you have done with your, your partner on the project, you have looked at, you've really sort of dissected the brands that seem to be showing up in an effective way for Gen Z. So first of all, I have to ask you, why should anybody be obsessed with Gen Z? I mean, why Gen Z? Why are we ignoring the boomers and X and the millennials? Why why do you have a special passion bordering on obsession for Gen Z? Why should we pay attention to this as marketers? It's a great question. Um, I, I There's a few reasons. Number one, when we look at younger audiences, uh, we tend to see where consumer habits are going and they're driving them. And so we want to look at you know younger audiences to get a read on, all right, how, <clears throat> how is everything going to be happening five years from now? I mean, it's really almost like a time capsule looking at how the consumer landscape is going to look. And so if you look at that, it's a really great harbinger of trends. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Gen Z is no longer kind of over here. They're going to be the largest consumer base in the U.S. by 2026. So this is a really formidable group. I would never say ignore the others. That's not what this is about. It's more, can we look at this group as kind of a microcosm um, to understand how the rest of the consumer world is going to be showing up? Because trends do start here. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because they're 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 digital natives and ubiquitous with their content and commentary. But I mean, they do seem to punch above their weight in terms of making tastes, uh, creating new trends, making new statements in music and fashion and art. Um, so it, it is, uh, I, I'm, I'm super interested in this generation as well, just absolutely fascinated. So as I mentioned, this was the second year you did the project. Were there one or two trends or discoveries that you that you found that were significantly different this year 
So you've 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 looked at these brands who seem to be connecting. What were there like certain little um, strategies, certain little tactics that maybe were more significant this year than the first time you you looked at this? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the second year, like you said, we we did the yearbook. We we rolled this out because of our me and my partner Michelle goes sort of a, obsession with this cohort, like you say, and and it's an obsession that we really want to poke fun at a little bit. I mean, the reason we framed it up in the form of a high school yearbook is because a lot of these reports are really serious. Um, and we did not want to take this so seriously. We wanted to deliver serious material where, uh, you know, in, in a fun package. So that's just, just wanted to set the scene a little bit. And in terms of what we saw as a difference, I would say the biggest difference is that all of the trends we saw in embryo last year really exploded this year, almost like supercharged. So the, the one that I would say um, is probably the most prominent is, you know, where last year streetwear inspired um, trends like uh, a drops, for example, or collaborations or customization, all of those things came up from streetwear. Those things existed, <clears throat> excuse me, in the past, but this year they're kind of table stakes. If you're not doing them, it's a problem. And so we saw them move into this new space of, yeah, it's a you know it used to be nice to have, and now it's a must. And so that I would say is a big one. All of those sort of streetwear dynamics. Another one we saw is you know we saw a ton of nostalgia um, taking hold last year, and you know in previous years, but last year was the first year we did the yearbook. Um, nostalgia now has become such a again a must. What we saw this year was brands that have access to nostalgic IP could morph into entertainment brands. So for example, that happened with McDonald's. That also happened with Nintendo. So they have access to this nostalgic IP, you know, for McDonald's, the Grimace Shake, for example. And if you're able to use that well, it's it's like it's a ticket to becoming an entertainment brand. So that's a really interesting dynamic that we saw, you know, in years past really evolve and take hold. So it wasn't so much that things were super different. It was more that we've now seen a sophistication happen in a really short time. I think this nostalgia idea is particularly interesting to me because if you think about it, someone in the Gen Z cohort might be 21 or 22 and they they really, they don't have any nostalgia, but they're like, they're, they're like reaching back into the eighties yeah. Uh, you know, like for my generation, you know, you have nostalgia for, you know, Star Wars and Batman and, you know, different shows that might have been on television, you know, Back to the Future or something like that. But yeah. it's just it's it's just so fascinating to me. And I don't really know what it means about the psychology of the generation that they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're yeah, they're they're longing for a comfortable time they never experienced before. So yeah. what's, what's your view on that? Yeah, I think you just nailed it. Um, it's an interesting, there's a, a word and I'm blanking on it right now, but it's, it's, it's used to describe nostalgia for a time you never experienced. And that's a thing. Um, that's a, absolutely a thing. I think it's being driven by chaos. I mean, we're looking at a world that this, you know, demographic is growing up in that is a lot more chaotic than ever. I wouldn't ever before, but certainly our generation. I am not Gen Z, just for your listeners. Uh, I have a Gen Z brain trust that I consult uh, to make sure that these picks are, you know, accurate. But 
you know, what I what I do want to say is there is just a level of chaos and it is extremely comforting to go back to what is perceived as a less chaotic time. Um, and that is part of what's driving this push to nostalgia. Also, you know, a lot of these nostalgia, nostalgic IP is driven by characters. Um, you know, I mentioned Grimace Shake, there's many more in the case of Nintendo, Super Mario Brothers. So those characters, you know, when you think of what works on social, it's people. And so characters embody people. I mean, it's, you're getting to actually interact and have real relationships with these characters from the past. And so it lends itself to the way we consume. It's not just, ooh, a nostalgic thing. Um, there are, though, a lot of really interesting pure nostalgia accounts on TikTok, for example, that hark back to just moments or feelings uh, of the past. It's very interesting. I've gone down many rabbit holes and it's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And sort of for, sort of unexpected with um, you know, a generation that is just pushing into, you know, new, new, new and embracing technology. Um, it is very surprising. You just got my wheels turning in so many directions here. But, but before I unleash my turning wheels, I do want to mention our sponsor, Brevo. That's B-R-E-V-O. Brevo, if you need to expand your customer base, including Gen Z, and boost your revenue, Brevo's comprehensive CMR, CRM suite is tailor-made for businesses like yours. You can answer all your customer conversations in real time and create stunning marketing campaigns to nurture your customer relationships. Get started with Brevo for free at www.brevo.com slash marketing companion. And if you sign up for Brevo, use the promo code companion to get 50% off your first three months of the business plan. So one of the things that sort of smacked me in the face on your report is there was a like a, a, a really, like there was a brand in there that I just, I didn't get like, why, what is this in here? And it was Ozempic. So it wasn't really about necessarily the Ozempic brand, but an Ozempic like trend about nutrition and fitness. And one of the things you mentioned in there is this sort of enigma about one of the big values of Gen Z is body image. And yet everybody wants to be thin. And another thing that I'm sort of aware of is this uh, real uh, awareness of envir environmental issues, global warning and sustainability, and yet they love Shein and they're buying disposable clothes. And, and so there's, there just seems to be sort of this enigma in there. I mean, is that, do you see that um, as part of the, the, the Gen Z culture or is this just culture in general that people are kind of confused? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating question because I think when I read so much about Gen Z, there's this perception that that it is a it is one thing. This is these are human beings. There are contradictions. Contradictions are inherent to any cohort, and I think it's important to look at that when you mention Shein. Absolutely. Uh, the, the contradiction of wanting to be, you know, sustainable. We put McDonald's in there. There's a, you know, certainly not a sustainable brand and there's an obsession with it. So I think it's like they're human. You know, we have to allow for that. The reason I put Ozempic or we put Ozempic in there 
the way that I research and think about the brand yearbook is I want to make sure that the brands that we choose are really speaking to trends and bigger picture shifts happening in the culture. And so sometimes the brands, you know, are sitting right in front of our face and we don't look at them. You're right. I never would think, oh, Ozempic, you know, put it next to McDonald's or Stanley um, as a hot brand. But in terms of the impact on the way Gen Z is showing up, living, and, and what we see as the longer term impact, um, it's huge. And so, yes, to your point, we're not saying Ozempic necessarily is the brand. We put a class, the GLP-1 drugs, which are, you know, all the drugs like Ozempic, Monjaro, et cetera. Um, but I think it's really important you know, to remember that there is this big sort of body positivity movement happening. At the same time, it's still a thing to want to be skinny. It's still desirable for many Zs, especially when we're talking about parts of the country that are not the coasts. So I think we really need to look at what are the dynamics that are going to shift behavior, shift lifestyles in the next few years, and, and how can we understand them better? And let's look at this. So that's why we put that one in there. I, I thought it was really important to get that yeah. one in there. Um, as well as a brand that really spoke to the shifts um, enabled by AI. I think those two are honestly massive, bigger than any social trend that I saw. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, I mean, I learned, I just learned so much as I was reading your, your report. It was very well done, very eye-opening. So I want to read two paragraphs from the report and sort of unpack a few of these ideas in a little more detail. Great. So you say, <clears throat> you'll find recurring themes in these pages, drops, collabs, and customization as table stakes. Nostalgic IP as a ticket to ubiquity. Interesting. Particip participatory game mechanics, driving virality, content and commerce, finally tying the knot and billionaire influencers to name a few. The brands also speak to major shifts, reshaping Gen Z lives, such as the rise of AI, digital campfire platforms, and the collapse of traditional media channels. Now, now you and I have already talked about the digital uh, campfire platforms on another show. So I'm not going to unpack this. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to our last conversation about that. But I want to unpack uh, participatory game mechanics driving Virality. I think you had an example in there, maybe that explains this uh, from Taylor Swift. Is yeah. that a good example, or there's some example? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Taylor is really one of the best marketers of our time, if not ever. She has rolled out a, a, a series of let's call them activations. If it was a brand, that's what you would call them. Um, that are so deeply embedded in how she shows up that it's almost hard to tell what's a marketing thing and what's just her showing up as herself. When I say participatory game dynamics, um, there's tons of stuff she's done, but one example we put in there is um, when she worked with Google to, uh, I believe it was create some kind of a puzzle that fans had to solve in order to unlock um specific special songs on her new album. It was like, it was a group activity, right? It was I a mean, group activity. Yeah, they had to exactly. reach, a, the fans had to reach a milestone as a collective. As a collective, yeah. exactly. 
Exactly. So, you know, fans had to work together to unlock a virtual vault to reveal hidden track titles. This was on 1989 Taylor's version, and they had to solve 33 million puzzles uh, collectively. That's just one example. I mean, you could really say that par that participatory game dynamics, what I mean is like dynamics that kind of got ported over from gaming and games are really showing up in a variety of ways across the landscape today, but Taylor constantly does this. I mean, even the very act of putting quote unquote Easter eggs in her videos and her, you know, social announcements that fans have to go sniff out and piece together. Um, the puzzle that she did with Google was really just kind of the one expression of that. This shows up all across her marketing. Um, and it's something that we're seeing again and again. I think that it's been fascinating. I've talked about this on previous shows, how the dynamics of gaming are really bleeding out from games. You don't have to be playing Fortnite to be engaging in gaming dynamics. And it's it's really showing up across the board now. And I think brands are really waking up to that. Yeah, I just wanted to connect the dots between our conversation and the last episode on the Marketing Companion is a conversation I had with uh, Matthew Sweezy talking about gamification and loyalty and comparing what's happening today versus our traditional idea of gamification, which might be the famous like McDonald's Monopoly game. The McDonald's Monopoly game doesn't create community. It's just something you go, you buy a product, you get a little card, you, you, know, you scratch something off and maybe you win some fries. Um, then, but what, what, what we're seeing is this collective idea where people are working together. It's a collective solving problems yeah. that you're really creating community that leads to loyalty, not just driving volume of shakes and fries, but, but driving something more than that. And I think that is really a fascinating idea. What, do you have any yeah. other examples of that besides the Taylor Swift thing we can refer to? Yeah, I just want to call out, though, because I think that's a really good point Matthew made. I hadn't quite connected the dots. I think the shift that's happened is it's now about identity. It's brands kind of opening up their, in some cases, IP to have you, customers remix it and have fun with it. And so it becomes part of them. If I can play with part of your brand, I can put my stamp on it. And so that's what I mean by participatory. I think another example would be the McDonald's um, Grimace Shake experience. Um, Grimace. Yeah, that was a, but wasn't that whole thing an accident? Wasn't uh, that whole trend? Well, I mean, it wasn't planned by McDonald's, was it? Wasn't so it like I just. Actually know, I, so they released the Grimace Shake. That is yeah. what they did, right? So they right. took and they resurrected a character that had existed in the 80s, I believe it was late 70s, 80s, um, yeah. and they brought the character back. Now, someone in a marketing department must have known there was a chaotic kind of insanity to that character that is tailor-made for the internet. It just is. There is, it, it's sort of the vibe of the character. And so I don't actually know the extent to which, um, you know, they knew that was going to happen, but they certainly seeded uh, the ground for it. And yeah, fans took it up and made it their own. And so that idea of being able to participate in, uh, you know, making culture and having fun with it. The same thing happened with Takis, Takis um, chips. 
you know, that idea of they're so spicy, we're going to do the Takis challenge. Am I going to survive? Even just that sort of like, oh my God, I'm showing you what's possible and engaging in this funny, dramatic act. It becomes part of my identity, becomes part of me. I'm creating. And so it's like, Brands understanding that, I think, much more than even a couple of years ago. I would say that is um, probably those are a couple examples. I'm, I'm trying to think of another like specific game dynamic. Um, let me come back to you on that because yeah. I, I think there's absolutely those exist, but I need to take a beat. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's fine because I love that because it just shows these shows are not rehearsed. <laughs> yeah. This is a conversation between friends and that's what, that's, that's what you're, that's what you're, that's what I you're know. getting. I, 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 and I wanted to be, uh, go back because we were referring to this very important viral moment of the grimace at McDonald's. And some people might not know what that is, but some guy, I guess it was a purple shake for the, you know, to introduce the, the Grimace uh, character again. And someone posted something on TikTok where like he he drank this shake and then he pictured of himself like passed out with the shake, you know, splashed beside him. Like someone attacked him after he drank this shake, implying that maybe the Grimace got him or something. And that started a whole meme, which, you know, oh my gosh, you know, what a what an amazing thing for McDonald's. So let's... um Let's unpack another one of these ideas that you and I have not talked about before. What do you mean by content and commerce finally tying the knot? What does that mean? So we have seen this kind of on the way to happening for years. I mean, we've always talked about, I mean, when you think about websites like Goop, I mean, there was an integration of content and then being able to buy things. What we have seen this year, I think it's been a real watershed year for that kind of cementing. Um, and not only cementing, but really becoming like a, a must have. So I put, we put um, in this report, uh, the app CapCut. And um, that's a great example of, you know, it's a, it's an app that you, it's just an editing app. Doesn't sound amazing. It's just, oh, it's a, it's an editing tool. But it's owned by ByteDance, um, which is the same company that owns TikTok. And so when you have this sort of like content creation tool embedded in a content distribution mechanism, um, there's just huge potential. And so you could potentially see um, any sort of commerce coming out of that. I mean, it, it, it's 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 a natural. Another example is TikTok shop, probably a better example. You have content, you know, the distribution in the form of TikTok, and then the ability to shop right within that. And so it's like, whereas in the past, we had websites certainly doing this, you could do it on social, of course, Instagram has had the ability to shop for a while now. But there is just this unity that has started to happen, a gelling um, that we're just seeing that happen more and more and more. And, you know, another example is Unwell. Um, you might be familiar with uh, um, Alex from Spotify and uh, she had her, you know, Daddy Yang podcast. It was huge. This if I was familiar with it, I probably wouldn't admit it, Sarah. What? Why? It's the <laughs> second biggest podcast um, next to Joe Rogan. Do you listen to no, Joe I Rogan? Probably, I, pro I probably wouldn't admit that one either, but go ahead. Okay, fine. Fair. Fair. But 
Alex Cooper, podcaster, very famously signed a massive $60 million deal with Spotify, did very well, launched uh, what's called the Unwell Network, which is essentially a production outfit. The reason this connects to content and commerce is because she's building a community of people who are really obsessed with Unwell content. It's not just, um, you know, a typical production outfit. So it's essentially saying, okay, we're building this community. We're going to bring that to all of our different projects. And so it's very compelling for a distributor, for a streamer, when you come not only with, you know, the uh, the project, but also the audience. And so when I say content and commerce, it works from a consumer side, but it also works from a um, like a streamer distributor side where it's like, this is very compelling. We can sell to these people. One of the things, it was one of the most fascinating observations in your report is that you predicted CapCut could become the Gen Alpha social media network. Yeah. This is one of the predictions I made. I didn't name CapCut, um, but this was one of the predictions I made for 2024, that the, the next new social media platform would emerge, that it would be centered on Gen Alpha because they're going to look at their big brothers yeah. and sisters and say, no, we need a place of our own. I also predicted that it would sort of uh, have a big um, uh, video component, <clears throat> but it also might um, have elements of like be real in it, where it's like this focus on on authenticity. And the thing that I think is interesting about CapCut is, is you think maybe like TikTok or Snapchat is a video platform with editing tools and CapCut is editing tools with a video platform. Yeah. That might that might be the distinction where you can really be more cinematic, you can tell better maybe stories, you can be a lot more creative perhaps. So tell tell us a little bit more about why you think this this editing platform may end up being a significant social media platform. Mhm. So I think it's for the same reason that content and commerce is working, you know, they're sort of together. Um, So what we said here was that the machine, and I'm just going to read this because I think it's important for listeners to understand, the machine currently colonizing the world's attention, TikTok, is guaranteed an infinite content supply from its baby sister, CapCut. It's really a power pairing. And so it has this giant leg up. It's a creative tool. Yes. It's an app. Yes. But it's attached, you know, integrated with this content engine. And so when we think about what are the dynamics that are actually going to put an app or a service uh, squarely in the path of people and who are the people that are going to embrace that i think there's a lot of signs that point to uh, you know sort of the, the ground is well seated for that to happen and i think whatever happens like you know we're seeing this the shift to creators we've always you know we've seen this for years now everybody's a creator more and more people creator economy what i think brands are still not quite grasping is that you know, when you're marketing to people, people are creators. So you can actually, you can market to them as a class. Like there's things they need. There's things they want. People building brands online. I don't see brands 
doing that as much as I think they could, unless of course they're brands that are intended obviously for creator economy, such as services or whatnot. I think more and more brands will be marketing to creators as a class. And so when we think of, okay, there's gonna be more and more creators coming up through Gen Alpha, I think that you, what's the what's the space they're going to connect and communicate? This is a well primed space. Um, by the way, you know this report will shift to Gen Alpha soon. I don't know ah, when, but it's not always going to be about Gen Z. The reason we didn't pick that this year is because we really didn't want it to be uh, super focused on kids stuff. It's just no. that's what it would still be. Sure, sure, sure. And we don't want. Gen Z up in arms quite yet, Sarah. <laughs> Not quite yet, although I'm reading so much now about, you know, the millennial death knell, and it's just, we're going to wake up, and it's yeah. going to be, it's going to be Gen Z tomorrow, right? Like, it's, this stuff turns over very quickly, the obsession. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, hap I'm hoping for a boomer comeback. Uh, so, uh, quick question, because, you know, I feel like we could just talk about this all, all day long, but one, just, just give me a quick take. You, one of the other big things you talked about were the billionaire influencers. Yes, yes, Are yes. we so so creator economy, creator influencers, creator brand builders? Are we are we reaching a peak or we're or, or are we still on the rocket ship? We're on the rocket ship. Yeah, I find it so funny when people I, I get this question all the time: Is the influencer nor influencers dying? Influencer business. Well, what about you know um, something Navy, which is an influencer business that just collapsed? This is not going anywhere. I mean, the fact that there are billionaire influencers now, which by that I mean I put Skims in there, Kim Kardashian, I put Rare Beauty in there, um, Selena Gomez. Those are just two examples. Those companies are valued, um, you know, that way. I, I really think that what we're seeing is really a, a seismic shift. The whole landscape has changed, reoriented so that people are at the forefront. So where there might be influencer businesses that are not going to be in the billions, many, many won't, most won't. Um, I think we're gonna see those core dynamics informing uh, so many businesses. It's not going anywhere. Brands yeah. are still going to connect with influencers to market their products. It's essentially like going to many media companies. That's what they are. Um, so you cannot ignore the power. I just think it's easy for those who are maybe sitting on the sidelines to go, well, this collapse, that collapse. Of course, there's going to be a lot of implosions, but generally the industry is headed that way. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. I, I think the transition we're seeing is that we're moving from, okay, you know, creators built an audience and maybe we could tap into that audience to now creators are the unicorns. You know, creators, mm -hmm. they're create they're creating the next big brands. They're creating the next big companies because they're monetizing that audience because people love them. They are the brand. This is something yes. I've been saying for a long time. Increasingly, the personal brand is the brand because we don't trust a logo. You can't fall in love, you know, with a, a, a website or a, a jingle or an ad, but you can fall in love with a person. And that is going to build the next great businesses. And I really admire, I mean, there, there's a lot of great business minds. I mean, Kim Kardashian and Mr. Beast are two, you know, I mean, they're really incredibly savvy business people. So, well, Sarah, thanks so much for your work. We'll put a link to the report in the show notes. 
And as always, thanks everyone for listening to the Marketing Companion, and we will see you next time. 